0: This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Last week, we started the Book of Romans, Theology for Today. And we talked about how Romans is full of all the primary doctrinal issues of our faith are found in the book of Romans. We we talked about how Romans two things you got to know as you dive into it. One, it's complicated. There are some areas in Romans as we study it that it's it, it feels like well that doesn't make sense or I'm not sure how that works together. It's sort of complicated, and I'm going to do my best. I'm just kind of a simple, straightforward kind of guy to break down what I believe Scripture teaches in those moments. The second thing about Romans, uh, we're going to read some things, experience some things, hear some things that that some of you will be offended. And by the end of the series, probably all of you will be offended. It's going to be great. But, but there are just things we find in Scripture. But listen, I get offended and you get offended when somebody else tells me I'm wrong. That, that's natural. But but we should have at least a pause if God is the one saying, hey, that's not the best way to live life. And you owe it to yourself to, to function away a way and to process the Word of God in a way that the you of five years from now will give the you of today a standing ovation for, for having the courage to say, God's right, I'm wrong. And so I want to encourage you during this series, man, if you've got a Bible, bring your Bibles. Some of you, your, your device is your Bible. You have the version app, Y-O-U version. If you don't have it, it's free. You should download it. There are daily Bible reading plans. or all the translations. It's incredible. But bring your Bible. And this is one of those series I want to encourage you. To take some notes. Maybe that's in your phone. Maybe that you, you brought a pad. You take notes. Maybe you just scratch you to paper, pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, whatever it takes. You're going to want to write some things down because as we go through the Word of God and study the Word of God, there may be some things we talk about today that you're going to deal with in your tomorrows. And so this will be a constant resource for you. If, by the way, you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. After the service, just go to the counter on the lobby side like a Bible. We'll give you one for free. But if you've got a smart device, then you can, you can uh, use that. If you've got a dumb device, be sure and get a Bible. <clears throat> it is not a secret to you that we live in a world full of problems. And I've really tried to analyze. Because I remember as a kid growing up, hearing my parents and my, my grandparents and hearing older people talk about how the world is just a disaster, and so I've, I've tried to think through, okay, is this, is this just something that happens as you get older? With age comes a feeling of, oh my gosh, it's never been this bad. Like, is that, just, is that just kind of part of what happens in life? But then if you step back and you look at what's going on around the world, whether it's worse now than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago, it really doesn't matter. Bad is bad. And the world is full of Problems. And the reason that's important is because we have the answer. In Jesus Christ, we have the answer. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Last week we covered the first seven verses. Verse 8, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Remember, this is a city he's never been to. He's wanted to go but he's not made it to Rome yet. He wanted to get to Rome so that he could continue to raise support, encourage the Christ followers in Rome, and then go on to Spain and plant churches all over Europe. So he had a desire to go there because the world went to Rome. Rome was the primary city. It was the place of commerce. It was the place of vacation. It was the place of power. If you were anybody, you were in Rome. And so if you get there, it's easier to get the gospel out. But he's never been there. And so here's what he writes. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Who you are as a people, who you are as a church is so profound. You're having such an impact in your community, with your neighbors, among your coworkers and your friends and your family that, that it, it, it's just, it, it's not even a secret. Words gotten out about your faith. God, whom I serve in my spirit, first seven verses, he talked a lot about serving, he introduces himself. As a servant of Jesus, and there's that word again, you cannot separate it. If you know Jesus, you're going to serve people because God loves people. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul begins to address this church, and after the introduction, the first seven verses, he prays. And he starts his prayer with, I thank my God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, it's very easy to read words and and try to get on to what matters or what I feel like is going to be helpful and miss the power in the simplicity. I thank my God. He starts with prayer, and in his prayer, he starts with thanksgiving. When we pray, why do we pray? Well, most of us, we pray because of what's pressing on our mind, what's pressing on our lives, what we're dealing with in life. In life. And usually, we're, we're driven to prayer by need or crisis. We go to God to tell God what the need is. We go to God to communicate, I'm I'm hurting, or this is happening, or I need you. It's it's need or crisis. It's not bad, but it's not best. What if we could train our minds? What if we could develop a default position that, that comes as easily as breathing does? Like nobody in this room is thinking, oh, breathe, breathe, okay. Oh, oh, breathe, <laughs> like you just breathe. And one of the things about spiritual disciplines in our lives is early on, there's gotta be reminders. There's gotta be things we put in place. We've gotta remember to take this step and this step. But eventually with consistency, what used to take work now becomes habitual. What if we shift the gears of our minds to say, you know what, I- I'm gonna think about not what I don't have, but how good God is. I'm going to focus on what he's done for me. What if we began to see what we could be grateful for more than we see what we need? How would that inform not only our prayers, but our lives? You would become a glass half full kind of person. And let me, let me tell you a secret. Write this down. Nobody wants to be friends with a glass half empty kind of person. Nobody. See, our approach to prayer and how we view God and our motivation for it determines not only what happens in that prayer, but what happens in our lives, When you start with prayer and you start your prayer with thanksgiving, it shapes how you think. Start everything with prayer. Start your marriage with prayer. Start your day with prayer. Start your decisions with prayer. Start your difficult conversations with prayer. Well, how do I do that? Some of you, you journal your prayers. You you write them out and that's awesome. Some of you, prayer is just talking to God, just like you and I would talk, it's talking to God. And I don't know why we think sometimes we have to bring some sort of formality with the conversation we have with God. This this is God. That means he knows how you think. That means he knows what your thoughts were five minutes before the prayer. Like, why do we think we have to pretend in front of God? He knows you. And you're safe because he loves you. He knows you and he loves you. So you just talk to him. Sometimes prayers are silent. You're in a difficult conversation and you begin to pray for wisdom. You begin it without saying any words. It's just your spirit communicating with God's spirit. Sometimes prayer is spoken, but our eyes are open. If you're driving down I-4, don't cuss people out. Pray for people. But keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. I think part of the problem with I-4 is too many people are praying with their eyes closed. That's probably the problem. Sometimes prayers are sung. Did you know the entire book of Psalms, much of that is is hymns from the Old Testament? When we gather together to worship, we're singing together and it is a, a heart cry, a prayer of the soul as we worship, we're connecting and communicating with God. Notice what he says, I remember you in my prayers at all times. There are countless opportunities throughout every single day to pray, to talk to God, one of the people who was a mentor in my life for many years was Angie's grandfather. His name was T.W. Wilson. Now, many of you know who Billy Graham is. Many of you don't have a clue who Billy Graham is, but T.W. grew up with Billy Graham. He was one of his best friends. He was his associate all those years in ministry. And and Granddad Wilson, every single time he prayed, I, I never heard him not do this, without exception, whether it was at dinner or at church in front of a crowd, or in the family room over some issue when we'd be visiting, every single time he prayed, he began every prayer like this. And now God, and now our Father. Every prayer he prayed began with the word and. Because he wasn't stepping into a moment that he was unfamiliar with. He was continuing a conversation he'd been having all along throughout each day, every day. It was an ongoing conversation. We approach prayer as something that is rare and unique, and we step into in the moment, and we almost feel like we got to introduce ourselves to God because it's been a while. A prayerless life is a powerless life. But when you pray, he says, man, I, I remember you in my prayers at all times. Prayer will give us a heart for God, and it gives us a heart for people. And if you want to love people more, pray more. People you don't like, pray for them more. You you might not start liking them, but you'll dislike them less. People that you really don't like, invite them to church because when they meet Jesus, they're better people. It happens every time. As we pray, what do we do? We seek his will for our lives. And he gives us clarity. He reveals our purpose. He supernaturally provides provision. It happens through prayer. But in verses 8 through 10, you can't help but notice it. How proud Paul is of this church he's never been to. What he's heard about them, their reputation goes before them. Who they are, how they function, how they love God, and how they love others, and how, how they engage as a church with the culture and the community. Uh, their reputation, they are easy to lead, they're teachable, they're, they're easy to love, they're generous and they're giving, they're kind to outsiders. I was saying about this this week. You are the same. I am so, so proud of you. I talk to pastors every week. I met with a pastor two weeks ago here in this building, a pastor here in Orlando. And I won't go into details, but good chance their church is about to fold. And this guy has a heart for God, this guy is a world changer. His biggest problem is his structure is fighting his vision, which is the way most churches are set up. But man, I talked to pastors and the horror stories I had, I had one pastor call me one time and he said, Hey, I've heard about you. I've heard about the church. A friend connected us. He said, I just want to share some war stories. I was like, war stories, but I can listen. I got a few from the church. I used to pastor. We can talk for a minute, but, but like in, 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 this is Awesome. Like, if you don't like me, I don't even know it. <laughs> I'm oblivious to it. It's awesome. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> but you come because you're hungry. Like, we're studying Romans. This isn't five ways to have a happier marriage or three steps to a better sex life. We'll do that, so keep coming. But, 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 but we're studying Romans. <laughs> Clapping for sex life. I think that was the parking lot, guys. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. When's that? Sunday night, I'm here. Doesn't matter. Take two offerings. (laughs) But who you are, your reputation. I meet people all the time. I have a neighbor. I have a coworker go see through. They've been inviting me, man. They're incredible. I'm going to come by. I've heard just try it once a million times. Man, you are a special people. In fact, one of the most beautiful things about you is you don't know how special you are. You ever know pretty people that know they're pretty? Man. But but when you meet a beautiful person and they have no idea how beautiful they are, I'm not talking just physical, I'm, I'm talking just a beautiful person. That's who you are. You bring a humility to your beauty and to your excellence and to your love for God and your love for people. You don't pose as trying to act like you're perfect, which a lot of church people do. I don't know if you've met any like that. You don't do that. You're you, I'm me. We're on a journey together. And we're following Jesus as best we can. And you're going to screw up and I'm going to screw up. And I'm not going to judge you for it. And you're not going to judge me for it. And listen, we're going to help each other get back up and keep going. And that's who you are as a church. And that this church in Rome had that reputation. Listen, I know this is not a perfect church. It can't be because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and it can't be perfect because you're here also. This is not a great church because we have it all together. This is a unique church. This is a blessed church, full of amazing, caring people, and God is doing something very special here. In fact, I can't wait to tell you this. I can't wait to tell you this. Can I just brag on God a second? Last Sunday, we started Romans, a study in the book of Romans, and we did the introduction, and four people gave their lives to Jesus last Sunday in this room. That's incredible. It's incredible. And that's not because who the pastor is or who the worship team is. It's because of who our God is. And it's because of your heart to respond to him, to be faithful in generosity and faithful in praying and faithful in serving and and faithful in inviting. It's who you are. What's happening here is special. It's not happening everywhere. Paul prays for the church in in Rome. And and he he gives us sort of a pattern for life. At the beginning of this letter, he prays, and then he moves to his plans. He prays, and then he shares his plan. Pray first, then plan. Some of you, that's worth your whole trip here today. Write it down. Pray first, then plan. Always pray before you plan. Actually, not always. There's some things I don't have to pray about. If God has already revealed in his word what I need to do, I don't have to ask him what I need to do. For example, the moment I give my life to Jesus, the very next step in my spiritual journey is baptism. Every single person in the New Testament that was baptized was baptized after they became a follower of Christ. It's the very first thing that Jesus asks us to do when we give our lives to him. So if, if I won't do the first thing, why would he show me the second thing or the third thing or the fourth thing? And what's so awesome is, I'm so glad we're talking about baptism, because it just happens to be that the last Sunday of this month, we're going to be baptizing in our new campus for the first time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So if baptism is your next step, same website, c3church.cc forward slash now register. We want to get you signed up, man. I would love to baptize you. What a special moment, the very first baptism in this campus. So if you've committed your life to Christ and you've not been baptized after that, baptism is just a picture of the old me is gone, the new me with Christ living inside. That's who I am now. Baptism is going public with your faith. And so if that's your next step, man, go to that link, register, make sure you get, you get set for baptism. Another thing I don't have to pray about, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, tithing, tithing the first 10% of my income as a follower of Jesus goes to the local church. And I've said this before, if you think I'm trying to manipulate you, tithe to a different church, you can still come here. We'd love you to be here. But, but this is not about what we want from you, it's about what we want for you. And, and I meet people all the time, I'm, I'm, I heard the message about tithing, I'm, I'm praying about it. What the f*** are you praying about it for? Like after thousands of years of history, God's gonna hear your prayer and change mind. My, my gosh, that person, right, I've been wrong the whole time. Because it's not about money. It's about the condition of my heart. Is Jesus first or not? Can I trust God with his word or not? And so tithing is another thing. I don't have to pray. So there are some things, man, I don't have to pray asking God, what do you want me to do? I might need to pray seeking strength, seeking courage, seeking obedience. Man, that's another area where I'm so proud of so many of you. A couple weeks ago, you fill out those cards. You say, man, I'm diving into the 90-day tithing challenge. I'm going to put God first financially. Notice verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Mutually encouraged. I don't know why you come to C3 specifically. I do know that if I were not the pastor, I would still come here because you encourage me far more than I could ever encourage you. You have no idea. In fact, when you're not here, I miss you. Like I'm learning, it's a new campus, but I'm starting to learn where y'all sit. I'm starting to figure it out. <laughs> Cause you got your seat. And if you come in and somebody's in your seat, it's a bad day. Like you got your spot where you like to be. By the way, the best spot is near the front. I might start giving out $1,000 a week to somebody in the front. We might do that. Not to the band though, sorry. <laughs> But, but listen, the, the best seats are in the front. You need to move to the front. Some of you, you've been back row way too long in your life. Bad things happen in the back seat. You know that, right? So, anyway, anyway, mutually encouraged. We're talking about encouragement. I don't know why I went there. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You know where mutually encouraged by each other's faith doesn't happen? Church online. I, I thank God for Technology. I thank God for the ability, man, COVID, having to go eight months online, thank God for it. But some of you watching online, you're not afraid of COVID. You just got out of the habit of coming. And you've convinced yourself that it's good enough to watch online. And you can't do on a couch what you can do in this room or on this campus. So yes, it's a blessing and a benefit. And if you have some health concerns or if you have COVID, stay home. God bless you. We're praying for you. But But if not, man, you need to be here, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. And then verse 14, I love verse 14. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Paul is saying, I'm here for everybody. Nobody gets left out. I I am obligated. The New King James Version says it like this. I am a debtor. Now, there are two ways to be in debt. Some of you, you you could write this book, but let me tell you. Two ways to be in debt. Number one, borrow money. If you borrow money, you got to pay it back. But there's another way to be in debt. If someone gives you something that you're to give to someone else, you are in debt to the person you need to give it to and obligated to the person that gave it to you. That's what he's speaking about here in this passage. Someone gives you something for someone else, it's not yours to keep. You're obligated to pass it along. Now see, the Jews divided the world into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. The Greeks did the same thing. The Greeks divided the world into the Greeks and the barbarians. And the barbarian, that, that word is a made up word. The Greeks could not understand other languages, obviously. And to them, they felt like everybody else was less than because they were the Greeks. And so when other people would talk from other countries, they would just hear bar, 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 bar. And so bar, bar ends. It's where they came up with it. It means you're different than me. He's saying if you're like me or you're not like me. If you study Socrates or you can't even spell Socrates, I owe you this gospel. I have a debt to you. Something has been given to me that I am to pass along to you. I am obligated. 2 Kings chapter 7, Old Testament. The city of Samaria, there's a famine taking place. And the Assyrian army has come to attack. And there are four lepers on the edge of town. And they're dying. They have leprosy. It was a death sentence. And finally, one of them looks at the others and says, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go into Samaria, there's no food, we're going to die. But what if, we, what if we surrender to the Syrian army? If they kill us, we're going to die anyway, but maybe they'll feed us. Let's give it a shot. What do we have to lose? So they go to the, the encampment of the Syrian army, and when they get there, they realize everybody's gone everybody's gone. God made it where the Syrian army heard the sound of what they thought were chariots surrounding them. And they assumed that the Israelites had called in the Egyptians and the Hittites and other people to come in and gang up on them to help them knock them out. And so they fled. And so these four lepers, they're going from tent to tent, eating all the food, drinking all the wine, taking the gold and the silver and burying it and hiding it. So they know where it is later until finally one of them looked at the others and said, what we're doing is wrong. There are people we know that are starving and dying. We have to tell them. We cannot keep this to ourselves. This is wrong. We, we have to let everyone know. Hey, friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are obligated. You're in debt to a God that that gave something to you that expects you and me to pass it on to somebody else. And it doesn't matter if they're Greek or non-Greek, if they're wise or foolish. doesn't matter how you might classify them or label them. Every single person you lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. And you are the person God has strategically put in their lives. You know Jesus. You have an obligation to share Jesus. If you had the cure to cancer and hid it, how cruel would that be? Or if you had cancer, or your child had cancer, or your spouse had cancer, and someone had the cure and didn't share it with you, how horrific would that be? How many people will split hell wide open because you didn't want to have an awkward conversation? How many people are living in a hell right now where there's a God who can provide them hope but you got yours. Who, who is it each week that you're praying for, that you're talking to, that you're inviting? It is so flipping simple. Hey, I go to C3. I love it. I think you would too. You should try it once. Hey, listen, I don't know what you're doing uh, this weekend, but on Sunday, I go to C3. It's 60 minutes. It'll make the other 10,000, 20 minutes of your week even better. Try it just once. See, we, we're bold in our invitation to try it once because we know if people try it once, they're gonna wanna come back. Because something unique is happening here that is beyond something I can create or what you can create. It's something God is doing in people's lives. We can't keep this to ourselves. Every political party, every ethnicity, every income level needs Jesus and we are obligated. Your neighbor is yours. Your coworker is yours. Your classmate is yours. Your family is yours. Your teammate is yours. And see, here's the thing. You can reach far more people than I could ever reach. You know why? I'm a pastor. One of the questions I hate, people come over to the house, they're doing some work, plumber, something like that, and he's cussing like a sailor, and then he looks at me and says, what do you do? (laughs) And every time I say I'm a pastor, it's like they saw a ghost. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm probably going to hell now. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But people have opinions of pastors because they've known pastors. Like, pastors have a... A well-earned, poor reputation. So when I invite somebody or I talk to somebody, a lot of people come. But it's with a perspective of you're supposed to. When you invite, you have no motivation other than you care about people and you want them to be here. I'm viewed as the salesman. You're viewed as the satisfied customer. And you can reach far more people than I ever could. That's why it takes all of us working Together to share the good news, no exceptions. In this life, we owe every single person the debt of sharing the good news, the gospel. We worship one God, his name is Jesus, and every problem we face in life has one solution it's Jesus. So Paul lays out his plan. It's it's been a decade. He's been working, he's been planting, he's been encouraging churches, he's traveling to make Jesus known, and now he's laying out the plan for the next steps. And, And part of this is to get to this major city of Rome, it's a city of influence. It's a place where he can make a difference. You and I are strategically in a major city in the world right now. One of the fastest growing cities in the nation. The world vacations here. I went back to Disney for the first time Friday. It was awesome outdoors. Indoors, I couldn't breathe. It was awesome outdoors. But, but the world vacations here. The, the nations are moving here. One out of four home buyers in the state of Florida are coming from another state. We have a place in Texas, a family home, and there are t-shirts there that say, don't California my Texas. (laughs) So if you're moving here from somewhere else, that's awesome, but don't do what you did there. Um, to, To reach the world, to make a difference. This is the perfect place to be, and God put you here, and God put me here. And God put us among masses of people who need hope, and we have an obligation. As a follower of Jesus, it's not up to just the leaders because you are a leader. Someone is following you. Your kids are following you. Your coworkers are following you. Your neighbors are following you. Your employees are following you. Your friends are following you. You know on social media how many people are following you. You are a leader, and to be an effective leader, it requires prayer and planning. Prayer, God, what do you want me to do? What is my purpose? And the plan, God, how am I gonna do this? Now, here's the danger. Some people are prayers who rarely plan. And some people are planners who rarely pray. In our human condition, in our personalities and how we're made up, some people lean heavily toward prayer. And some people lean heavily toward planning. I got to be honest. I'm a planner. That's who I am. There are moments I look back in my life. It's like I'm on the way out the door to do God bless me. Help me with this. I'm going to take care of this for you. I mean, it's just like, let's go. I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's charge on. But neither extreme will give you the life you desire. It takes both. Every plan you have needs a foundation of prayer. And every prayer you pray needs an action to become reality. It's just part of life. We were planning for years. And yes, praying. But planning for years for a permanent location. Looking for a permanent campus. And it wasn't until there was an intense time, and I believe the timing of God set up with this because we had prayed and prayed and prayed, but an intense time of of four weeks of really praying and talking to God and feeling like God was saying, hey, talk to Summit Church about that location. And I was arguing with God. See, when you pray with God, you can argue. He can handle your biggest argument. He can handle your pushback. And he is a patient, loving father. He's been so patient with me. And so uh, during that time, a lot of praying, a lot of discussing, a lot of pushback, a lot of wrestling about, This space, before I even knew it would be available or be an option. the praying, it opened the door for the planning. The other thing the praying did, it provided the confidence for the planning. When you pray and you see God move, you see God work, you see God open doors that that you couldn't have opened, you see God work in people's lives and say, oh, all the equipment in the building, about 1.6 million, you can have it, it's free. That gives you a confidence that you know God is in something. You know God is working. You know God is doing something. Often we make our plans and we run into the plan. And when things start to get tough, we bolt and we shut it down because there's no confidence. There's no foundation of prayer where God showed up and God spoke to you and God opened doors and God made things happen that you couldn't make happen. It takes praying and planning. And Paul shows us that. He prays and plans. He prays first any plans. That's our template. That's our pattern for life. Pray first, then plan. One of the struggles with this type of study, Romans, Bible studies have often been hijacked by thinkers and not doers. There are people that notice all of Paul's theology and none of his work ethic. Hey, C3, we're going to learn what Paul says, but we're also going to do what Paul does. Our purpose is not to chase knowledge. Our purpose is, is to know more so we can know God better, so we can share his love better, so we can love him more, and so we can love people more because God loves people. And the more we, we dive into this relationship with God and become more like Jesus, the more we're going to love people and the more we're going to have a desire to rescue them. Having correct theology is not how we put points on the board. Living and doing and acting on what we believe is how we score. And knowing Jesus creates a movement where we do something. We're reaching people for Jesus. We're inviting people. We're involved in evangelism. We're involved in missions. See, I've known people, and for years I resisted. For years, I was like, man, I, I don't want to do a verse by verse study through an entire book. 39, 40 weeks. I don't know if I want to do anything for 39 or 40 weeks. do, Do I really want to do that? And I've seen churches that do that, filled with people that become puffed up in their knowledge and proud of how much they know, and they don't give a rip about anybody around them. There are people that know their Bible so well, but they don't give a damn that their neighbor's going to hell. And you're one of them if you're more upset about the fact that I said the word damn than I said the neighbor's going to hell. There are people that get all jacked up about how proud they are, about the stuff that they know. They discuss theology, but they never invite anyone. They never reach anyone. They debate doctrinal issues, but they never lead anyone to Jesus. They tell me, hey, here's what I think you should do as a church. Here's what we should do. But you don't give jack financially. You don't serve. You don't invite. You spend all your time in your head. You're spiritually obese, and you bring nothing to the table but headaches. Now, that's not you. That's people watching online that go to other churches. When someone speaks to me, when someone gives me advice, this is a good life lesson. When someone offers advice, you know what I do? I consider the source. Your words have no weight if your life has no obedience. I consider the source. Notice verse 14. We gotta hurry, y'all gotta listen faster. That is why I am so eager, I love that word, so eager to preach the gospel also to those of you who are in Rome. It's part of the DNA of a follower of Jesus to tell people about Jesus. Do you realize the opportunity we have right now? Everything is a mess. The world is divided. Hope has faded. There's disaster after disaster. The economy, COVID. More people died this year of COVID than last year. Inflation, tension, everything is an absolute mess and people are wondering, what do we do? And we have the only thing, actually the only person that has ever worked in all of history. It's Jesus. We have to share that. We have an obligation, a debt, because every person we lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. We have to share, and we have to invite, well, that's just not my personality. I just live my faith. I just, I just live it. <laughs> hey, Jethro, listen, listen. If Jesus, the Son of God, was perfect and still had to use words, how much more do you and I, who are imperfect, Have to use words. People are not going to get your faith just through osmosis in the air. It's not contagious like that. They may notice your faith like that, but you gotta tell them how to get there. You've got to use words. Just live it. Now you better be living it if you're using the words. And and living your faith is not perfection, it's pursuit. You can't be perfect, but you can pursue Jesus. And often the strongest lessons of faith or when people that we know and love fail and show us what looking, getting back up looks like and asking for forgiveness looks like and taking responsibility looks like. How do we get right with God? Verse 17, this verse is powerful. The righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith. Some of you, you, you struggle so much because you still think it depends on you. If you had a bad week, if you cussed too much, drank too much, treated the kids in a bad way, disrespectful to your wife too much, you're still in the I got to do better mentality. And you're never going to get there trying. You've got to start trusting. Notice what the verse says. The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Righteousness, it means to be right with God. That's what he's speaking about. How how do you get right with God? We, We know that phrase. Hey, you're about to die. You better get right with God. Like we're familiar with that phrase. So how do you do that? There are two ways you can attempt to be right with God. One is a works righteousness. The other one is gift righteousness. Works righteousness says I have a problem and I can solve it. That's what religion does. That's what every religion does except faith in Jesus, which is not a religion, it's a relationship. Works righteousness says I can fix my problem. And we bring that mentality to everything in our world. I can fix it. When I can fix it and I have a works righteousness, my candidate is wrong. Right, your candidate is wrong. When I have a works righteousness, I I, I know how to do things the right way and you don't. And we bring works righteousness to our sexuality, our gender, our gender identity. We're the good ones, you're the bad ones. We bring it to moral causes. One issue after another we bring with religious zeal. We have all these issues and we have the passion to solve them because we are the solution in works righteousness. And it's not that the issues are unimportant. It's that they're not the most important. In works righteousness, we take ourselves far too seriously, and we don't take God seriously enough. Your cause is a big deal. But Jesus' cause, does it, does it cross your mind? Other than on Sunday mornings? We develop all these causes, and we bring our works righteousness to it. Man, we're going to save this and save that, and be for this and be for that, and it's of ultimate importance. And we we bring religious ill to it. We worship our causes and ignore our God. Everybody's got a cause. I'm going to save the wolves. Save the wolves. Have you read the Three Little Pigs? Like, you don't want to be pro wolf. But in our culture, every issue divides us. There's a clear line, and somebody's righteous and somebody's wrong and unrighteous. And have you ever noticed how I'm always righteous? You're always righteous? The other people are always wrong. The other people are always unrighteous. And if you are unrighteous, you have hell to pay. We're gonna take you out, we're gonna erase your voice. Because you're wrong. In works righteousness, we bring it into every area of our lives. In every area of our lives we bring it into, we destroy our lives because we are not the solution, we are the problem. You're not the solution, you're the problem. I'm not the solution, I'm the problem. So instead of works righteousness, it takes gifts righteousness. Why? Because I can't fix my problems. And you can't fix your problems. Only Jesus can. So God offers a solution to the problem. You and I are the problem. God is the solution. In works righteousness, there's a problem, but you're the solution. In gifts righteousness, you and I are the problem, and God's the solution. So verse 17, he speaks of the righteousness of God. God is the one who is righteous, and Jesus brings his righteousness to us. On the cross, listen, Christ follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, okay, now I'm going to need you to do some stuff for this to actually work. He didn't say that. It is finished, means Jesus did everything that needs to be done. He lived and died for your sin. Paul references Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. Habakkuk is frustrated. The people in Habakkuk's time are dealing with a corrupt government, an economic collapse, plagues and racial division, conflict in the streets, dividing into groups and fighting. We don't know anything about any of that. All of that, 2020, 2021, and we are weary. And we are exhausted. And we know what we think we're right about. And we know who we think is wrong. And we base it all on our own opinions instead of the Word of God. You let somebody say something 10, 15 years ago that they shouldn't have said, and we crucify them. Where's the room for growth and change? Aren't we supposed to celebrate people being better than they used to be? Aren't we supposed to celebrate people changing their minds when they used to be wrong? Why do we hold other people to a standard of perfection that we can't even keep ourselves? Habakkuk lived in all that, and he asked God a question. Lord, how long? How long do we have to deal with this? How long do we have to go through this? And God answers in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So back to Romans verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last. Just as it is, just as it is written, here it is, the righteous will live by faith. This verse teaches justification by faith. You are justified. You are made right with God by placing your faith in Jesus and nothing else. The question, and this is what led to the Protestant Reformation and the issues they had with the Catholic Church, is is it just Jesus or Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus confession, Jesus plus first communion? Is it just Jesus or do I have to add something to Jesus? Do we need just Jesus or do we need more than Jesus? Hey, it's just Jesus. And if it's just Jesus, his grace covers everything that happened in your bad week. His love covers everything that happened in your bad week. And that doesn't mean we sit down and we quit and we give up. It just means that I'm not living my life working toward earning God's love and trying to be better, hoping somehow he'll love me and forgive me. No, I'm not living my life towards something. I'm living my life from something, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that gives me the power to have the faith in God and allows him to work in my life. We don't read the Bible and we're not kind to people and we don't tie to the church and we don't serve in church and we don't invite people. We don't try to live in a way that honors God to try to earn something. We do it as a thank you for what he's done for us because that's what following Jesus is. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So this week, the gospel, the good news That there is a God that invites you to call him Father. That Jesus loves you deeply right where you are knowing everything about you. That if you're a Christ follower, your sins have been forgiven. You are justified by your faith. You have the righteousness of Jesus put on you, not because of you, but because of God. And you can walk in a freedom of knowing you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to make it go away that God loves you right where you are and wants to grow you. So don't live your life trying to earn something from God. Live your life from a perspective of the first thing Paul did when he prayed, thankfulness to God. If you're not a Christ follower, today you can change that. I can't think of a better day to give your life to Jesus, to something you don't have to be ashamed of. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. Everybody's playing their song. And everybody's raising their flag and everybody's got their hashtag and the church has shut up and sit down. But the reality is none of those people are our enemy and they deserve to be loved with a love that God loves us with because the reality is we are all broken. We are all messed up. We're not better than anybody. The only difference is we found hope in Jesus and we need to help people experience that. Have you found that hope? Do you know what it is to know God in a personal way? I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you'd like to give your life to Christ, I wanna invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Man, I can't think of a better time to do it than today. To allow the God of the universe to become your perfect Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God to come into your life, forgive your sin, and give you the strength to live day by day, and to live with the confidence of knowing. You have the righteousness of God on your life because of Jesus. You don't have to do anything else. You get to live your life as a thank you pursuing a loving relationship. If you'd like to step into that, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name.